we uh, share a couple things uh, going on. Uh, looking at my sweatshirt. This is not a Jeep, by the way. This is what Jeeps dream of being. Okay, just make that clear on the forefront. When I when we uh, when we first started the church a long time ago, I had a I had an early Bronco. That's what they call these. It was a '73. And I uh, had the fellows at the Diesel College. They don't call it the Diesel College anymore, but that's uh, I'll still call it Diesel College. Uh, I had them painted Viper Yellow uh, while I was a youth pastor. And then when we started the church, you know, I was still running around in this thing. And I now cry at night when I think about it and it being gone and things like that. So, no, just kidding. A um, couple things going on I wanted to tell you about. Um, the um, uh, just just so you can be praying, so you can kind of know uh, a little bit of, of of stuff going on. Uh, many of you know that we are working toward trying to build on to the end of our building here uh, to give us office space. Uh, and originally, it was mainly about office space, and then and then we we kind of turned a corner of like you know what if you know instead of just building office space, if we're building something. You know what? How can we meet some needs here? And so, uh, we're building more children's space. Is actually turning into a whole lot more children's space than it really is anything else, uh, which is great. Um, and um, um, so, uh, the architect. We've been working with an architect that's a good friend of ours, good friend of Twenty Fours, and he is. Uh, he has uh, gone through. I think we're now on like the third revision, uh, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it is going to be catted now. Uh, and so that's that's in the process, and we're working toward that. And of course, it costs more money than we ever anticipated on it. You know, wanting it to cost and all that. But uh, another thing that's come out of uh, the whole thing is because of, and I don't want to get into too many details about it. Uh, we'll talk about it later on, but you can be praying about it. Uh, is uh, because of the type of space that we're making, uh, we're actually looking to possibly see that space help pay for. Uh, a lot of the whole thing. Uh, and so that's not something that we initially anticipated, uh, but that's something that's happening, and I know that's a little fuzzy, and you're like, well, I want to know what's up. I'm like, well, you will eventually. So uh, you can hang in there with us, and, uh, and we'll, get, we'll get, get all that out there in the, in the days to come. But uh, anyway, just be, I'm just sharing that to just say be praying. Be praying uh, for us as we continue to seek the Lord of what that looks like um, if you've been around 24 for any length of time, you know that we, we just really don't, building buildings is not really our thing. Uh, that's, we're not really interested in just spending money on buildings and, um, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, we, we'd rather uh, the money go uh, for other things uh, for the kingdom. But um, this was, we've just kind of, the church has grown to that necessary point. Uh, we, need, we need the office space. Uh, we're gonna, we need more kids space. We're going to need more kids space. Um, and, and, and I'll uh, say that with this, um, if you hadn't noticed, God's doing something pretty amazing here uh, at 24 and, and with this body of believers. Uh, and I mean, uh, it, it's, I take it for granted. And I, I've even recently just even been convicted about that I know I take it for granted. I know we probably all take it for granted at different times. Uh, but I, I can just tell you, uh, what, what's happening here is not normal. Uh, last weekend, we had more people here than we've ever had. Uh, you know, I mean, and that's that's amazing. Um, you know, we we started a church here, you know, 13 years ago, with the belief that this area would grow and that there would need to be a church here like this that would, uh, you know, try to reach people, uh, you know, that maybe other types of churches don't reach or whatever. And so uh, we're starting to see that they're they're literally building houses in our backyard right now, and so if you haven't noticed, but, uh, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's not coming to a halt anytime soon. Uh, when we first started talking to the, to, the, to the building planner for Pleasant View, you know, about what we're doing with, you know, the addition and stuff, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, tell me the future, buddy. What's, what's, what's going to happen? What's, what are we looking at? And he told us some crazy number of in the thousands of permits that have already been pulled and paid for for houses that are coming right here. Uh, I mean, it's it's coming. People are coming, and you know, and, and we we started church here based on the belief that that would happen, uh, and that those people would need Jesus. And so, um, you know, be be continuing to pray uh, about uh, about uh, how God wants to use you as a part of the church, and for those of you that already serve and and do things and and just are a part of the body. 
Uh, thank you. Thank you for being a part of the body. Thank you for serving. Thank you for all the things, for seeing through the dirty diapers, for their parents to hear the gospel, for you know, uh, shaking all the snotty-nosed people that come through the door's hands and, you know, stuff. And, of course, all of you just now are like, should I shake the greeter's hand next week? I don't know. Maybe not. We have Purell out there for you, I think. So, But, no, seriously, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for, uh, for giving. Thank you for all those things. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's we together. It's us together that make up the church. It's not a building. It's, it's not about that. Uh, it'll never be about that. Um, so... Um, we're going to talk about some of what it's about this morning. In fact, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and get it out. We're going to go to the book of Mark. The book of Mark. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles. They'll be glad to get you one. Uh, just, uh, just let them bring you one. Just throw your hand up in the air and wave it like you just don't care, and they'll bring you one right away. Uh, but Mark chapter 2, and if you're really following along, then you would know we finished chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago, and you're going to be like, wait a, wait a second, Chris. We already did chapter 2. Yes, we did, and we're going back. We're going back for more. Um, and now I have a song stuck in my head, so stopping. Uh, so yeah, chapter two. Into chapter two, there's a there's a little sliver of something that um, uh, that we see happen with Jesus and his disciples. And uh, Jesus and his disciples are are under fire. I mean, basically, you know, Jesus shows up on the scene, and the 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 Jewish people of the time who had studied the scriptures and all these things, you know, they're, they're basically waiting for Jesus to mess up. They, they're, they're not buying into who he is. They're, they're really struggling. And so they're, they're kind of on their guard and they're waiting. They're waiting for him to do something that they can catch him in and try to get rid of him and, you know, make him go away or whatever it is. And so uh, we see that. And we see that in this passage here. And we, we've already studied this passage here a couple weeks ago, just a little bit. Uh, but I want to read through it and just kind of talk about it because it goes along with the next passage that we're reading. I mean, you got to have to kind of remember, you know, when we've got scripture, you know, we've, you know, man has, you know, we've taken this and, and put numbers on it, you know, chapter three, verse five, and all this kind of stuff. And 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 the truth is, is that it was, you know, it was written as a document or a letter or whatever it is, you know, and in particular. Mark wrote the book of Mark. Uh, we think it might have been actually Peter's point of view of the life of Christ being told to Mark while he penned it. Uh, but either way, Mark is, is fairly to the point, and it is one of what we have known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are four different uh, uh, viewpoints of the life of Christ. Uh, you know, four different people that knew Christ and, you know, wrote about him, wrote about his life, wrote about his ministry. And so there's, you know, some things that are the same. There's a few things that are, you know, added that others don't have and that kind of thing. But, you know, all together it makes up this picture of who we know as Jesus. And so Mark and his rendition is a little more to the point. We've been talking about that. And, and, and that's the case here. And, and I think that that's interesting for what we're studying today because there's two, there's two sections, the, the last section of chapter 2 and the first section of chapter 3 uh, are really, you know, they're, they're kind of talking about some of the same things. Uh, talking about legalism. You know what legalism is? You know, I think, and we talk about legalism a lot at 24, and here's why. We have to talk about legalism a lot at 24, because... In the South, in a religious Southern context, there are a lot of people who fall prey to legalism. You know, there's, there's, there's these things that we just do, and a lot of people don't even know why we do them. You know, it's such as, you know, well, we go to church on Sunday, or let's say we go to church on Easter, you know, kind of type things. And, and you might ask somebody, you know, why, why do you do that? Well, because I'm supposed to. Okay. Well... What do you, uh, here's one, uh, you give. You give at church. You give an offering. You know, well, why, why do you give? Well, because I'm supposed to. Okay. Well, if we make our life built around a relationship with God that is based around things that we're supposed to do, that's not really a good relationship, is it? That's, a pretty, that's actually a pretty, pretty junky relationship. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mean, if you, if you had a relationship with your spouse, your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or whoever, uh, you know, and it was based around all the things that you're supposed to do, that's not a good relationship. I do things for my wife because I love my wife. 
you know, I, I don't want to do things because I'm supposed to do them. Does that mean that I do things sometimes I don't really want to do? Well, absolutely. You know, who likes carrying out the trash? My kids are getting older. They're about to start doing that all the time. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, Gracie, wherever you are. You're the first in line, being the oldest. So, you know, I think for us this morning to think about legalism, you know, and it kind of goes in hand with the term religion a lot of times. You know, a lot of people have been turned off by the church because of religious people. Well, what's that mean? I mean, what, where does that come from? I mean, we, we kind of know what that means, and in our head we're kind of thinking about it. And we, we, A lot of us are probably like going back to our church baggage of the past and why we quit going to church at some point along the way. And, you know, somebody, you know, smacked us with a ruler or, you know, told us we were going to hell or, you know, whatever it was. And at the end of the day, the point is that even back when Jesus was around, there was legalism. It's not something that we created in the South, just being good Southern Christian people who are going to church. Legalism is something that ran rampant amongst people, and especially in the Jewish culture. And I'll, I'll kind of even go back a little bit. I'll give you a little history to go with that. Uh, you know, in the Jewish culture, if you go all the way back to even like, let's talk about like Moses and the Ten Commandments. They get, you know, he gets the Ten Commandments and the Jewish people who were God's chosen people, okay, and they take that and they run with that. And they take these, you know, 10 things. And, you know, uh, let's just, and we're, we're going to talk about today the Sabbath. You know, so one of the 10 commandments is, is uh, you know, to remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. You know, Sabbath is special. Well, what, like, what's a Sabbath? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a day. It's a day off. It's a, it's a break, taking a break from things. Well, well why, would, why is that such a big deal? Well, we'll get to that. How how do we how do we see taking the Sabbath? How do we see taking the Sabbath? That's the question. So for the Jewish people at that point in time, they begin to come up with extra rules as to how to keep the Sabbath. And so in, in what we're going to study today, you're going to see like we've got God's law, and then we've got what we could call the rabbi's law, which is the stuff that the rabbis added in to make sure that you're following the Sabbath correctly, you know, kind of thing. And what happens is people become legalistic about these things, these rules, these regulations that we've added to God's Word that are not God's Word. It's not God's law. Uh, and, and in fact, God's law was meant to help us. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. When I was growing up, you know, I grew up, number one, in the South. And also grew up, uh, we went to church. And also grew up, my dad's a pastor. And so there's a trifecta for you right there that kind of changes some of the things that even back then, I remember at that point in time, there was a lot of places that weren't open on Sunday. You know, and you still see that sometimes, but not very often. Good old Chick-fil-A, the Christian chicken. God bless it. And their spicy chicken sandwiches with no pickles and ketchup. Amen. That's right. And, uh, and now you want Chick-fil-A. Guess what? You can't get it today. Been a great, that'd been a great opportunity for me to bought a bunch of Chick-fil-A yesterday and then like sold it to everybody after the service, all right? Man, I could have made some money. Uh, anyway, my head. And so, uh, but yeah, so when I was growing up, I remember places being closed on Sunday, and the point was that they were observing the Sabbath. They were observing a day off. They were observing a day of rest. Um, and so, you know, I remember even my dad. I remember my dad, like I remember one day I wanted to go work I had like this, uh, I had a friend up the street and they had a treehouse. And we were going to work on the treehouse. It had some stuff that, you know, was not, you know, uh, right on it. We're going to fix it. And so I remember I go to like borrow a hammer from my dad. We needed a hammer. And so I walked down the house and I was like, hey, where's your hammer? And so he starts to get it out. And then he's like, wait a minute, what are you, what are you doing? And I said, well, we're, we're working on, you know, Jim Bob. That's actually this kid's name. I was like, we're working on Jim Bob's treehouse. And, uh, and so he, and he's like, well, son, now it's the Sabbath. You know, we don't work on the Sabbath. So even, just, even in just a little bit, that legalism crept into my life, crept into my family, of this idea that you shouldn't do things. Like we have Serve Sunday on Sunday, you know? Like there's, I, you know, there's, I know there's people that probably think, oh, my gosh, that cult church is going out and working on people's houses on Sunday, you know? 
The clarification will come in this passage that we're studying today. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. We have these Pharisees, these Jewish religious zealots who knew all about the scriptures and they were ready to pounce on Jesus just waiting for him to do something wrong. Here it is in verse 23 in chapter 2. It says this. It says, One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, to them, okay, to all of them, this is Jesus, How, I'm sorry, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were, with him, who were with him, how he entered in the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So we've got these guys who are trying to catch Jesus doing something wrong. And so what they find out is that Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath go walking into a grain field and they pull out some grain and they turn it into something they can eat by hand and then they eat it. Well, to them... They, they shouldn't be doing that because that's work. And you don't work on the Sabbath. You take a day of rest on the Sabbath. Jesus is so awesome sometimes with like all of his drop the mic moments. And he has a couple here. Um, and he says right here in verse 27, it says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You know, God made the Sabbath. You know, from the beginning of creation, how many days did it take to create the world? You know? Well, yes, technically six. What do you do on the seventh day? He rested. He rested. So we see, we see kind of this idea, we see this idea that, that God sets forth an example for us of taking a day of rest. Now, we in 2018 have a really hard time with that. We hear that and we go, I got too much to do for that. And it is, it is absolutely amazing to me. And this, this, I mean, this goes just right there with sin and all these other things that we talk about all the time. And I talk about this stuff and probably sound like a broken record, but I have to come back to it uh, because so many people don't understand it, that God, Jesus, as our creator, understands us better than we understand ourselves. And, and so like with sin, where he doesn't want us to sin, it's not some nanana boo-boo thing with Jesus like, oh, you know, I'm going to make those things a sin. no. He sees those things, and he knows those things are not good for us. And so he warns us against them because they will hurt us. They will destroy us if we let them. And so, you know, Jesus is like, you know, don't do that stuff because I, I, don't, I don't want you to get hurt. I love you. I care for you. And same thing with the Sabbath. What's he say? He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was made for man. In other words, it is a gift. Here you go. Here's you a Sabbath. And we're like, what? I don't know what to do with that. What does that even mean? In 2018, people hardly even talk about, I mean, hardly ever even hear a church talk about a Sabbath anymore. And the truth is, is that God understands something about us that we know, but we don't want to believe it sometimes because we want to be invincible and get everything done all the time and never stop, which is that we need rest. And he calls us to this day of rest. He calls us for a time of rest. He calls us for a chance for us to be rested, but also to be rested in him, to meet with him, to glorify him, to worship him. And so that's, that's a Sabbath. That's what a Sabbath looks like. So Jesus goes on here, and he says something else in verse 28. He says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So, that's definitely a drop the mic moment for Jesus because he's talking to a group of people that think they've got it all figured out. 
And here they are telling him, dude, you're, you're out here breaking the Sabbath with your boys. And he's like, huh, no, I'm not. The Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. Oh, and by the way, I'm the Lord over the Sabbath. And they're like, what? And it's no wonder that they want to kill him. I mean, let's just face it. I mean, that's, that's, where this, that's how this is like starting out, and that's where it's going. I mean, from the get-go, we've got, we've got him at odds with the religious people. Now, you wouldn't think that. It's like, oh, he's the son of God. Why is he at odds with the religious people? Well, because they have become legalists. And more important to them at this point in life is that they make everybody abide by the rules that they made. Right? So, I'll give you an example. One of the things that they had as a Sabbath rule, because you know they, they couldn't just leave it as that you should take a Sabbath. They said, well, we've got to figure out what that really looks like. Let's, let's put pen to paper and let's, you know, let's try to get some of this together and let's make, let's make a list. And so somebody in the meeting was saying, well, you know something I'm afraid about the Sabbath. What's that, Jimmy? Um, I, I'm afraid I'll, I'll walk too far. Well, then we need to figure out how many steps it's safe to take on a Sabbath without just making God angry at us, don't we? Yes, we certainly do. Well, they got it down. 1,999 paces. You go 2,000 paces, you have gotten into the bad graces of God. That's what they taught. That's what they believed. That's not in Scripture. That wasn't God's law. That was the rabbi's law. Okay? They make themselves into policemen of sin. Church, that's not what we're called to do. Yes, there is absolutely a place for us to call on one another when we are worried about one another falling away from the Lord. As believers, that is something that we are called to do. But our life is not to be policemen of sin. God pretty much has a handle on that. You know? What we see here is we see Jesus trying to help them to see through. Let's go on to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. It says, and again he entered the synagogue. And remember, there weren't chapters back then, so this is kind of flowing together. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, talking to the people, the Pharisees that are in the room, and by the way, we already see and know that Jesus sees our hearts and saw the hearts of the people in the rooms many times that he was with and that kind of thing. And we see Jesus immediately begin to talk to exactly what's going on and what's in their hearts. And he says to them, they haven't spoken he says to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? They hadn't asked him any of that. They, had, they hadn't asked him. They hadn't said, Jesus, are you going to heal that guy on the Sabbath? Jesus, Jesus knew where their hearts were. By the way, Jesus knows where your heart is too. He knows where my heart is. That's the amazing thing about the relationship we have with him. He says, but they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So, I mean, we're quick on into the ministry of Jesus and they are ready to destroy him. The Pharisees, let's, let's take just a little piece of this. The Pharisees meet with the Herodians about this. Do you know who that is? That's the, that's the Herod followers. They're not like friends. Basically, they're like, well, we know the Herodians, they're... They're pretty ticked off about this guy who claims to be the king of the Jews too, so let's just, let's just go get with them 
and we'll just work together. Well, they, they didn't work together on anything. So basically, they're like, well, we're just, we're, you know, we're going to figure out a way. We're going to destroy this guy. They're scared. They're scared because he's calling into question all of these things already. I mean, like they just met the guy and already he's calling into question all of these things that they have believed to be the law, their law, not God's law. See, Jesus wasn't breaking the law. Jesus wasn't breaking God's law. He was breaking the rabbi law. No, no, another law that they had made up? Things you can't do on the Sabbath? There's a list. I wish I had the full list. I don't. Things you can't do on the Sabbath according to their law? You can't untie a knot. You can't untie a knot. Why? Because it was considered work. You're not supposed to do it because it's considered work. And we don't want to be working on the Sabbath. We don't want to make God angry at us. You know, we've got to make sure we're resting. So in other words, if you got a knot in your sandal and you couldn't, you know, didn't just easily untie, well, you had to keep your sandal on to the next day. So then you got your nasty old stinky feet. And I'm sure, I'm sure your wife would be like, I'm going to tell you what, at midnight tonight, I'm going to cut that thing off if you don't take it off. You better fix that tonight. I'm, I'm serious, you know. That's that's the kind of stuff, kind of stuff that they that they did, that they believed. Here's another one. If you had a rip in your clothing, if you had a rip in your clothing, you could you could do. I'm surprised they let them do one. You could do one stitch. One stitch, if you had a rip in your clothing. Now, now come the next day, you could fix it, you know. But on the Sabbath, one stitch. So hopefully, if you did get a rip, it was small. And it wasn't in some choice places. Otherwise, the Sabbath just turned into a show. But you see, the Jewish culture, the Jewish culture had, had adopted these things as, as being theirs. And, and the whole idea going on that they were God's chosen people, even that, they had taken to an nth degree to create this inclusive thing going on, which by the way, a lot of people feel that the church is a lot of times, and they shouldn't. And Jesus comes to wreck that. That's why like when Jesus comes and he's like hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors, and he's talking about, you know, that the, that the gospel will go to all nations, and he talks about the Gentiles. They're like, the Gentiles? We're not, we're not talking to the Gentiles. I mean, the Jewish people were mad at Jesus. It's no wonder No wonder they wanted to kill him. They saw themselves as God's people and they saw his everything that he wanted for the world is not applicable to them, to only to them and not the rest of the world. This is legalism. This is legalism. When we fall in love with making it about the rules, and trying to police all those things versus the relationship that we have with Jesus. We've fallen into legalism. And, and, and here's the truth. Some people worship it. And here's a harder truth. Sometimes that's us. You go, I, I, don't, I don't do that, Chris. I don't do that. Okay. All right. What about, uh, what about uh, with being right? What about with being right? You say, well, Chris, are we talking about something biblically right? I'm just saying in general. It could be biblical, but let's just say in general, being right about something. Many of us worship that. It fuels the pride within us where we want people to know we're right. We want people to know that we know all about certain things. And it wells up within us. And we've got to fight it. Our being right, wanting to police the world on everything that they're wrong on, is not who we are called to be as believers. Not who we are called to be in Christ. And you're like, well, Chris, sometimes I'm right. I need to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely, you can talk about it. Totally talk about it. And there's a lot of things that we're right about. 
There's a lot of things uh, that are ways that we are set in or even rights. Like, I love being an American citizen. I love being an American citizen. I love the rights that I have as an American citizen. But let me just say this. My rights in the kingdom of God are more important than my rights as an American citizen. And if me wanting to argue my rights as an American citizen come in the way of other people hearing the gospel of Jesus, I am not in the right heart. I am just wanting to be right. You're like, no, Chris, I want them to know. No, that's pride. There's a difference between having healthy conversations with people and understanding that, that people that you know you're going to disagree with, what good does it do to like go to them and the in-your-face, I'm right and you're wrong and I'm bigger and you're small and all that stuff. They're, they're never going to listen to that. God has called us to be light in this world that we would befriend those people, that we would love those people, that we would care for those people, that the gospel might change them because guess who's not going to change them? Me and you. We're not going to change them. But God can. And He oftentimes does when we as believers befriend those people and love on those people despite our differences. And then we have healthy conversations about those things. It's not up to us to change everybody's mind. It's not up to us to be right. These folks loved the rules. And then Jesus came and broke them. Why? Why did Jesus come and break the rules? Why, you know, I, think, I think if we're real honest with ourselves, we, we, we would like to believe that Jesus came to break the rules because he's a rebel. We like, we like that Jesus, don't we? We like Jesus riding in on like a soft tail, you know? Like rolling in, looking like Renegade. You remember Renegade, that show back in the day? Lorenzo Lamas. You know? Here's the truth, though. The truth is not, is not that Jesus is a rebel. We want him to be a rebel because we're sinners and we want him to be like us. And the truth is, is that he came and he defeated all of that on our behalf because we couldn't do that. He came and he broke those rules because he wanted to break down the religious idols they had made, their legalism. He wanted to help them to see that the new wine wouldn't fit in the old wineskins. It would break them. And he's saying to them, guys, you got to see this. you got to see that the, that the kingdom of God has come. And it's not the kingdom that you've built. And you can't put this kingdom in the one that you built because it's got all these crazy rules. Y'all can't be untying your sandals. You know? On the Sabbath. I mean, it, the Sabbath is just that's the only thing covering this thing. I mean, it was, I mean the, the rules were vast and wide. There were so many. They couldn't even keep up with them half the time. And Jesus is over here going, hey, the Sabbath isn't about rules. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What's that mean? It means it was a gift. God basically said from the beginning, I know you as man need rest. Here's a holiday. Here's... Here's a vacation day every week. And then what did we do with that? We, we took that and we're like, well, let's go over here and jack it all up. Let's put some rules on it. Ain't going to be going no 2,001 steps on my Sabbath. You know? And I mean, isn't that what we do so many times with the things that God does for us? The gifts that he gives us? The Sabbath was made for man. It was a gift, and it was for us to get rest, just as he did in creation. He set the example for it. even says in Genesis 2 that he hallowed it. Jesus also made clear, also in the end, very last part of chapter 2 there, he says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. When Jesus says that, 
we theologically, I don't think we even can comprehend how big of a statement he's making right there. He's saying, I am Lord over it. And, and in other words, you tie that to what we see in the book of John in the very beginning, and the Word, and the Word is with God, and all this, and spoken in all existence. He's basically calling himself out as the creator of the world right there. And he's like, I'm Lord over it. I made it. Again, no wonder that they're ticked off and thinking, oh my gosh, who's this guy think he is? We got to kill him. We got to do something with him. He wants to take away our not tying stuff, and, and now he says he created everything. He says he's Lord over the Sabbath. Who's he think he is? And this is why the religious leaders were willing to join their enemies to kill him. In fact, R.C. Sproul says this. He says, ironically, they, on the Sabbath, who are worried about all these other people doing things that are work on the Sabbath, go and hold a meeting plotting to kill the Lord of the Sabbath. They go work. They go get together with their enemies to do work to kill the Son of Man. On the Sabbath. Jesus' response in this, I think, is worth noting. It's right there in chapter 5 of, I'm sorry, verse 5 of chapter 3. It says, and he looked around with them, looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart. He looked around at them with anger, grieved with, at their hardness of heart. Jesus got angry. Why? Why did Jesus get I mean, it's Jesus. What's he doing getting angry? Well, he got angry because he saw in that moment that they cared more about the tradition that they had created than caring for this man who had a need. That's why he was asking the question. What, hey, guys, what do you think we should do? You think it's better on the Sabbath to save a man's life or to let him die? Or we'll just basically kill him is the way he puts it. They don't answer. He heals the guy. They take off to go get the meeting together to go, let's go kill this guy, Jesus, who is healing somebody on the Sabbath. He's also grieving. You see that? It says, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved, at their hardness of heart. He, he has a mixture of emotions in that moment. You know, what, you know what those moments are like. Like you know like what it's like to have like two emotions going on at the same time. And it's like a minor chord getting played on a piano. And all at once this is rushing to him. And he is broken hearted over where these people have come to, that they have gotten to a place that they love their religion more than they love people. And that they can't see that what they were called to all along was to love those people like they too had been loved by God. Broke his heart. And here's the truth. Jesus is brokenhearted that same way over us and for us over things in our lives at times. When we make something out of our relationship with Him, our religion versus the gospel, when we, when we do that, He's brokenhearted for us. He's brokenhearted over our sin. He, he grieves our sin. He, he hates to see it. It's not because, again, it's not because He just doesn't want us to do it. He doesn't want it to hurt us. And He loves us and He's the Creator and He understands how we work better than we do which is why He gave us a, a stinking vacation day. He's like, here you go. I want to read this little excerpt from a guy named Kent Hughes. It says this, it says, What revelatory fire comes from the repeated collisions of Christ and the religious establishment? From them we see that Christ's great work is to heal us from our sin, that Christ comes to sinners who realize their need, 
that the new life he brings cannot be held in old religious structures or old lives. There's the wineskins. I'll say that again. To be held, that the new life he brings cannot be held in old religious structures or old lives. How these truths invite us. If many in the world could see only could, could only see this Christ, they would find him irresistible. They would find him irresistible. How in the world is this world supposed to see that Christ? You already know the answer. Through me and you. Through our love for them. Despite whoever they are, despite wherever they came from, despite their religious background, despite the color of their skin, despite anything that you can come up with, even remotely as an excuse to not love somebody, Jesus has called us to love them. We have to fight against. We can't be about our religion more than we are about loving the people that God has called us to love. We've missed it if that's what we're doing. If we're caring about our ways, the life that we've made for ourselves, the rights that we have, more than others knowing that we love them and care for them and them seeing Jesus in us and them hearing the gospel, we're missing it. This will come in whatever we worship. However our hearts bend, that will show us where our hearts are. And that may be the life we've made, it may be our religious practices, but none of it can be more important than those that God has called us to love and to minister to in this world. Or, if we do, we've become like them. Our hearts have become hard. We're sitting in the room with no response to Jesus saying nothing when he asks us, are we better off to heal them and save their life or to kill them? That's having hard hearts. That's being inclusive. That is not who we are called to be as the church. We cannot be that. Ephesians 4 is a very challenging passage, specifically, and I'll let you go check it out on your own, verse 25 through 32, and it talks about all kinds of things. It talks about, talks about basically what it looks like to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And in that list of things, there's all sorts of stuff like not letting the sun set between, on something between you and another brother and all kinds of stuff. But in the midst of it, it has that statement that I was reminded of when I was reading about Jesus grieving over them even though he was angry. And it says in verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. May we not be people that are grieving God because of the life that we live. I'll close with this. Fifteen years ago, um, I was a youth pastor um, at a church. And uh, I'll, let me say this before I get too far in the story. I, I care deeply about this church and many of the people that are at that church. And we truly believe that God uses different types of churches to reach different types of people. And that church reaches a different type of people than a church like 24. And I'm grateful for that. But while we were there, I was riding around one day. And uh, again, I had my yellow Bronco. And I drove by this house one day. In fact, I had somebody tell me about this house. He said, there's a house down the streets." you know, down this street and around a bend or whatever that's got Broncos like this. I was like, really? They're like, yeah, you don't see those things very often. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I was like, well, I'll ride down there one day. So one day I'm in the Bronco and nice sunny day or whatever and tops off and I'm riding around. I ride over and find this house and sure enough, there's like three Broncos around this house, you know. And, uh, you know, might seem weird to some people, but with car people, you can just like, you know, go like walk up and be like, hey, what's up? I got a Bronco too. And they're like, oh, cool, you know. And uh, and, and so sure enough, I, I go over to the house and, you know, 
they're not outside, but I, I walk into the garage is open and there's another Bronco and, and I walk up and there's like a shop in the backyard and I look like through it and there's a door open to it and I see somebody working in it. So I just, I just wander on through and just walk in the shop. Here's these three dudes. And it turns out it's a father and these two brothers and uh, the brothers were about my age. Uh, one little older, one little younger, I think. And, you know, I'm just like, hey, what's up? And they're like, who are you? I was like, oh, my name's Chris, and I've got a 73 Bronco. And they're like, oh, hey, welcome. We're glad to have you, you know. And uh, I become friends with these guys. And uh, specifically, the older brother and his wife, Jeff and Jen, and uh, time goes on. We begin to hang out. We were doing stuff with our youth ministry at the time. We were having like tailgates at the high school football games, giving away hamburgers and hot dogs and stuff to people just to hang out with them and get to talk to them and that kind of thing. And, and my Bronco had kind of become like a thing within our youth ministry. It was Viper Yellow, so it was real bright. And so I'd park it at the tailgate, and everybody knew that's where we would be by looking for the truck. And so... Uh, I, as time goes on, I befriend them. I start talking these guys like, you guys should bring your Broncos up to the thing. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because I don't know. It'd just be cool to have a bunch of Broncos up there. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. And so they, they start bringing their Broncos up there. We got all these Broncos. We got like a little mini Bronco show going on at the high school football game. And, uh, you know, we're doing all this stuff. And just, you know, hanging out. My wife and I begin hanging out and having dinner a couple times with this couple, and, and then finally, you know, get to the point where it's like they, they weren't in church, didn't go to church, didn't have a church background, and I, I invite them to church, and they're and they like, we're going to come. We're going to come to church, and I will never forget that Sunday. I can't forget that Sunday. And the whole time that service was going on, I'm thinking, I, I, it's like I looked through a different lens like the first time in a long time. And I was like looking at everything that we were doing in the service, and I was going, I wonder if they think that's weird. I wonder if they think that that lady singing that song's good or not. I wonder if they think that this is strange. You know, it was, and it was, of course, like Communion Sunday. And if you've ever been to like a traditional Southern Baptist church on like Communion Sunday, and they, they've got like the, the 15 deacons across, and they do like this passing of the plates thing before anybody ever gets juice or crackers, it takes a while. You know, and the whole time I'm thinking, what do they think about this, you know? <laughs> they never came back. I asked them, and they wouldn't come. And it was at that moment that I knew that God was going to lead us to do something different, and I had no idea. I never wanted to be a lead pastor. I'm straight up about that. Did not want to do this. I wanted to be a youth pastor. Is fine. This, whole another ball of wax. Didn't want anything to do with it. Seen my dad do it his whole life. Struggle with all kinds of things that you have to deal with as part of it. But I knew at that moment, God used that to mold and shape in my heart that we were supposed to start something that was a little different. Not because we got it right. All I just knew was we couldn't be that. We couldn't be legalists. We couldn't run people away. We have to love them. We have to care for them. We can't make our opinions more important than the gospel. That these people in this world need Jesus. And if we claim Jesus, but act like hell, then it messes that up. And we're not perfect. And we know it. But the call on our lives as believers and on this church, I know specifically, is, is that we try our best to not fall into that. We, we still do because we're sinners but that we seek after the heart of God, which means that we seek after the hearts of others. That we love those people that God has placed in our lives. There are people in your life that, I, that are not in my life. There are people in my life that are not in your life. Guess what? That's our mission field. That's our mission field. 
And the truth of the matter is this, it doesn't matter what they drive, they all need Jesus. And this morning, maybe you do too. And maybe you've been run off by the religion stuff. Maybe you've been run off by the legalism stuff at times in your life. And you've just shunned the church and you've shunned the idea of Jesus because of the claims that come. And you're seeing mixed bag things of like, what person, I don't know. And, you know, if Jesus is really this, then why do they act like that and that kind of stuff? We get it. We get it. Here's the truth. We're all sinners and we all need Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never trusted and believed in him to be your savior, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you get the new life with the new skin for a kingdom that is not here, for rights that are much better than the ones we have right now. God loves you. He created you. He wants you to have a relationship with you. And He wants to change your life that others might know Him because they know you. That's the purpose of life. Not our religion. Not our legalism, but the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to die for sinners like you and me. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would lead us through this life to follow you. We need your help with that today, Lord. You know we need your help with it. You see us struggle. God, thank you for being there for us. Thank you for never abandoning us. Thank you for promising to always walk with us. God, I pray for those people that you are giving us as a mission field. The people that have pulled permits that are going to move here, that don't even know they're going to move here yet. They don't even know about that job yet. God, you've orchestrated so many things to happen that we might have a chance to love on those people who might move in next door to us or who we might move in next door to. God, help us to see clearly what it looks like to be light in their lives. Lord, to love them and care for them as you have loved and cared for us. God, thank you for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen.